going to turn now to our scripture reading. So if you have a Bible with you, can I encourage you to turn up 1 Corinthians on chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll not read the whole chapter, but we will read most of it. I'll, I'll let you know as we move through which verses we'll skip out. First Corinthians chapter 15, and, and this is Paul's uh, focusing his, his teaching on the resurrection of Jesus. We'll start reading at verse 12. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in life, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And then we'll skip down, folks, to verse 35. Verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial one is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised up in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, 
The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. In my preparation for this week's sermon, I knew I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to park Mark and, and look at the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians 15 was the obvious passage for me. And in my preparation, I came across a sermon which was pre preached uh, Easter 1905 in Princeton Seminary in America by a Dutch theologian called Gerhardus Voss. And I have to say that I thought that sermon was so good. Um, I'm not repeating it here, but it did strongly influence what I'm going to say on both structure and content. What I say to the boys and girls is absolutely true. In the Presbyterian and Reformed Church, we don't celebrate high and holy days, not in the way that the Anglican Church might, for example. We say that God has blessed us with 52 holy days every year. Every Sunday we celebrate the work of Christ. Every Sunday we hear the gospel, we hear about his death, his resurrection, his ascension into glory and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday we celebrate those things. We don't need, uh, we don't need special high and holy days. But today we do remember Easter. And so if, if remembering Easter and Christmas and those, those great events, which are events in history and we celebrate today, if that's to be defended, it's because it allows us a moment to rise up and to look out over the whole of God's salvation and to understand how the resurrection changes everything. I've learned this from Bear Grylls, that if you're wandering in a forest, one tree can begin to look like the next tree, can begin to look like the next tree. And so sometimes you've got to climb the trees. And you've got to look out over the canopy of the forest to make sure that you're going the right way. 
Well, that's what Easter is. It's an opportunity for us to climb to the treetops and to survey God's salvation. Have a look out over the whole forest. Today, as we think about the resurrection of Christ, we have this opportunity to see God's salvation as a whole. And to understand more about how our faith, our faith is resting and is grounded upon the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We don't have rich and decadent food every day of the week. We don't even have it every week. But once in a while, once in a while it's good as an act of celebration to feast. And that's what we do today. We feast on the resurrection of Jesus, on the truth that he is not dead, but he has risen from the grave. Please do have your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. There was a problem in the church in Corinth. In fact, there were many problems in Corinth, but this one was serious. It was deadly serious. In the same way that a cancer, if it's left untreated, will destroy the whole body. In the same way that a rotten apple will ruin the whole barrel. There was a problem in Corinth that Paul needed to address. And you can see what the problem is in verse 12 of our passage. Some people were saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. And this is a serious problem. It's so serious that Paul gives much time and effort to explain the resurrection of Jesus. And look what he says in verse 14. He says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. The resurrection is at the very heart and core, the very foundation of the Christian faith. If the resurrection is denied, then the faith that we hold to is empty. And so this Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything. It's on the resurrection that everything else hangs. If there were no resurrection, well then, I'm sure you could all find something better to do today than be here. There would be no point in us being here. Any other belief that in the bodily and physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead in history as the first fruits of all who fall asleep in the Lord, anything other than that, and there's no point in us being here, believing anything other than that would cause a rot in the church and it would lead to eternal destruction. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is absolutely central and foundational to the Christian faith. Because it's through the resurrection of Christ that we have any assurance whatsoever that our sins are forgiven. It's through the resurrection of Christ that we are made willing and able to live for him. And it's through the resurrection of Christ that we have the hope of everlasting life set before us. So we're going to look at each one of these in turn. First of all, the resurrection gives us assurance that our sins are forgiven. And you can see Paul make that point in verse 17. Verse 17, Paul says, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And it's not the only place that Paul makes such a statement. He, he connects the resurrection with our justification. 
in chapter 4 of Romans. Justification is about answering the question, how can a sinful person, a sinful man like me, how can I become righteous in the sight of God? And you'll remember from the shorter catechism that justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons our sin and he accepts us as righteous in his sight because of the righteousness of Christ, because of what Jesus has done. Often when we think about justification, when we think about our righteousness before God, we think about the death of Jesus on the cross. In the last week, we've looked at those verses that I sent out for the boys and girls. I sent them out for everyone. We've looked at those as a congregation. Verses which help us understand the cross of Christ. And so it's a good thing to look to the cross. It's right that we focus on the cross. What about the resurrection? I don't think we should separate the, the death of Jesus from his resurrection. In terms of the work of God, they are different parts or different aspects of the same event. The Christ event, which includes his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into glory, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so while it's right to look to the cross to see sins forgiven, we also need to look to the resurrection. And when Paul says here in verse 17 that without the resurrection of Jesus, you are still in your sins, he means it. He means that without the resurrection, you are still under the wrath and curse of God. Without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we've no way of knowing that our debt has been paid, that our debt has been cancelled. If Jesus died and remained dead, well then death has won. And to understand this a wee bit better, we need to think about the connection between death and sin. We see that throughout the Bible. We, we know from the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve that the day they ate of the fruit and sinned against him, on that day they would surely die. We probably all know that well-known verse from Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. And so you see the connection. Those people who sin deserve death. Even in our own passage today, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. And so death, which is a horrible thing, death, which is an awful thing, it's a sad thing, it's a thing that none of us want to happen. But it's not just awful because it means the loss of a loved one. And it's not just scary because within us there's this desire to live. And it's not just sad because it means the physical decay of our bodies. Death is horrible because deep down we all know that it is a result of sin. Death is a result of offending God. As Paul goes on to say in the rest of verse 56, the strength of sin is the law, and the law is the way God judges those who sin against him. Every soul who sins is fully deserving of death. And so we see in this that Jesus had to die. As soon as, as, soon as Jesus came into this world, well, that's where he was headed. He came into the world and he took the sins of humanity upon himself, from that point on, 
he was headed for the cross. To take the bruising, the punishment and the chastisement for our sins, transgressions and iniquities. So what about the resurrection? Well, let me illustrate it like this. I want you to imagine you have a huge debt to pay off, a vast debt. You don't know exactly how much it is, but all you're able to know is that if you put money into that account, the numbers come back and they're either in the red or they're in the black. So even if you lodge a huge amount of money, if the numbers are still in the red, then you are still in debt. And that is how it would be if Jesus had died on the cross without the resurrection. If Jesus is not raised, then our faith is in vain because we have no assurance that our sins are forgiven. A huge amount has been paid in the death of Jesus. But if we're still in the red, if he's still in the grave, then we can't be sure that our debt was paid. It's only through the resurrection of Christ that we can be sure as sure that the debt has been paid in full and we are in the black. It's only through the resurrection of Jesus we know for certain that our sins have been forgiven by God. And that's because they've been punished on Christ. But he has overcome them. He has overcome death. He has risen to new and everlasting life. Friends, I'm here to say today that Jesus is risen. And because he is risen, you can be sure that your sins are forgiven if you're trusting in him. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a public announcement that the penalty of death has been paid. We no longer need to fear death. We no longer need to feel guilt because the curse of sin has been removed. The resurrection answers the question, how can a sinful man come before a righteous God? It's by believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. When Jesus rose on that first Easter morning, our sins were left buried in the grave. And there they shall remain. We have full assurance of pardon. We have peace with God because of the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's move on to our second point. And that is that it's through the resurrection of Christ that we are made willing and able to live for him. This is the process Christians call sanctification. And again, we know from the shorter catechism that sanctification is not an act, but a work of God's free grace. We're made more like Jesus by dying to sin and living to righteousness. But if you're anything like me, that's hard. I know that I've forgiven my sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But dying to sin and living to righteousness each and every day, well, that's really tough. You know, I sin every day. I'm angry. I get jealous. I'm lustful. I'm proud. I covet things that are not mine. I sin against God. I'm not thanking him for the things that come from him by not honouring and glorifying him as the Lord of my life. I'm guilty of breaking the law of God each and every day. 
but I, and I can say this without any pride or boasting, I'm not as bad as I could be. And you're not as bad as you could be either. Because through trusting in Christ, his power dwells within you. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we would have no hope. But because Jesus is risen, we are able to know the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, putting sin to death. By the grace of God, the same power that brought Jesus from the dead, defeating sin, that same power is dwelling in us, defeating the sin which still lives in us. You see how Paul describes the resurrected Jesus in verse 45 of our passage? The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You see, it is the risen Christ who dwells in you by faith, who puts his resurrection power to work, killing the sin in you and giving you more and more life. If you're trusting in Jesus, the power that it took to raise him from the dead is living in you. What chance does sin have against that? Let me put it this way. I have no power. I have no power to end my own sin. And so I definitely have no power to convince you to put an end to your sin. And yet, as we hear God's word read and preach, as we encourage one another by singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, as we pray prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving and intercession, as we affirm the things we believe and hear the assurance of God's pardon, as we have the blessing of Almighty God placed upon us in the benediction, through these ordinary means, Jesus is working. He's working through the power of the Holy Spirit to put your sin to death and to make you willing and able to live to his righteousness. There is no way we can defeat our sin. The wages of sin is death. You cannot fight sin on your own, but you are not on your own. Christ has become life-giving spirit. The resurrection power is present in you when you believe on him by faith. That's an extraordinary thing. And yet it happens through the ordinary means of grace. Sin is a struggle. But if you want it to be defeated in your life, then you need to come to the risen Lord Jesus each and every day, but especially in worship each week. I cannot overstate the value of public worship in the battle that is the Christian life. The resurrected Jesus works by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And if you want to see sin kill, you need to come under the ordinary means of grace, week in and week out. Well, that is until we reach the perfection and the glory of the promised land of heaven. This life is difficult. It's wandering in the wilderness. But those who believe in the risen Lord Jesus are guaranteed eternal glory of the promised land at the end. And so to our last point, it's through the resurrection 
that we have the hope of everlasting life set before us. The Christian faith promises many blessings for us in this life. The benefits of salvation are countless, but it's when we look to eternity that we begin to comprehend the infinity of what God has done for us through Jesus. And it's the resurrection that gives us this hope. We do have great blessings in this life as Christians. But look at what Paul writes in verse 18 of our passage. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus that secures our own resurrection. Jesus is what Paul calls the first fruits. And when you have the first fruits, that guarantees a future harvest. So as Christians, our minds should be focused forwards and upwards, looking to the future glory of heaven, to the wonder of that time and place, which is so great, it cannot even be compared with anything in this world. You know, it would be so gracious of God if he put us back in the garden. If he made us like Adam and Eve, able to overcome temptation and defeat sin, that would be grace. If God put us back there and gave us a clean slate, but God has done so much more than that. In Christ, God has overcome on our behalf. And so we're not going back to the garden. We look forward to a better future. It's a bit like this. Many people want to go back to what life was like before the pandemic. And I think that would be good, wouldn't it? It would be good to go back to what it was like before. Wouldn't that almost make it as if the suffering of the pandemic was useless? Wouldn't it seem as if all the suffering had been for nothing? It would be better, wouldn't it, to emerge into a world that is greater? I think that's about the church all the time. I think we should learn lessons. We should be emerging from this better. Knowing more things about ourselves, more importantly, knowing more things about God, having had our faith deepened. Maybe we have a, a new and greater clarity of the mission of the church. Maybe it's a, a better appreciation of the place of public worship in the life of the Christian, in the fellowship of God's people. Well, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we're not going back. We know a, a greater life, a greater hope lying ahead of us. And Paul, Paul makes this point for us by comparing the bodies that we have now with the bodies that we will one day have in the resurrection. Those bodies will not be natural, corruptible bodies. Bodies which age with decay and with time. I don't know about you, I have aches and pains that I in places I didn't even know existed 10 years ago. Every day is a babble, isn't it? Just to keep our bodies going. We need to feed ourselves with food and water. We, we need to get exercise. We need to get sleep. And that's not to mention those among us who need to take medicine or supplements for pain. People who live with terrible, debilitating physical ailments. These bodies are frail. They are dying every moment, returning to the dust. 
from which they came. But Paul says here in verse 49, he says, As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. <coughs> That's a glorious hope. A glorious hope that awaits us in the future, joining with Jesus in the resurrection. Bodies that won't be corruptible, that won't be decaying, that will no longer be mortal, but immortal. Friends, this Easter day, we celebrate. We look out over the treetops at the great salvation God has worked for us through Jesus. Today, be assured. Be assured by the resurrection that your sins are forgiven. Be encouraged that by the resurrection, you are being made willing and able to live for Christ and take hope. Through the resurrection, the best is yet to come. And our future resurrection, along with all who have gone before us in the way of the Lord, is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.